There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and you're listening to Health Essentials Podcast by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting from Cleveland Clinic main campus here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we're here with Dr. Linda Bradley. Dr. Bradley is the Vice Chair of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Women's Health Institute. She's also the Director of Hysteroscopic Services and the Fibroids and Menstrual Disorders Center. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> sure thing. And today we're discussing GYN, women's GYN health issues. And please remember, this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So before we jump into the topic, I'm going to ask you some questions just to get to know you on a personal level. Okay. <laughs> so what is the weirdest thing that you've ever eaten? The weirdest thing I've ever eaten was were frog legs. Frog legs? Frog okay. legs. And I heard they uh, taste like chicken. They taste like chicken, yes. and that's what I thought they were when they put the basket of food in front of me in Mexico, and I'm oh. eating and eating, and the gentleman comes back, the waiter, says, uh, would you like some more frog legs? I'm like, <laughs> these are frog legs? I did think that they were fried chicken Would legs. Would you have eaten them? If, if I probably, know? it's better for me to not know what I'm eating. Beforehand. Because um, I will try <laughs> everything as long as I don't know. Okay, good. Uh, Good to know. So um, how about naming one thing on your bucket list? One thing. I actually right now would like to get a degree, a formal degree as a chef. Really? Um, mm -hmm. I'd like to go to a culinary institute okay. or culinary school. There are many in Cleveland and, yeah. and local area. Um, but I would really, I love cooking, but I would really, for some reason, just want to have the degree yeah. to make it official. Oh, interesting. Favorite yeah. dish to cook. I'm sorry? What's your favorite dish to cook? Oh, I love anything Italian. Anything Italian? And also Indian. Okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> Need to come over. So uh, what about what day in your life would you like to relive again? That's a great question. I really enjoy all of my pregnancies. Um, wow. So I could relive all the days. I won't say labor, <laughs> but um, moments leading up to the onset. But those, I just had a great pregnancies for both of my kids. Wow, and uh, great. felt great took excellent care of myself wow. and um, obviously much younger and had yeah. a good good experience. Good, good for you. And we can talk about that and keep everybody healthy. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get into discussion. So what is GYN Women's Health? So GYN Women's Health really uh, approaches everything that women um, need to have taken care of as it relates to menstrual cycles, mm -hmm. pregnancy, contraception, menopause, uh, female um, issues with the bladder, okay. pelvic floor as we call it, um, PMS, moods changes, irritability, um, sometimes depression. So it really covers everything that an internist usually doesn't take care of. Okay. The most common things that people would go to their gynecologist for would be for a pap smear and breast exam. Um, but then sometimes there are more problem-based visits that we'll talk about which lead women um, to be seen, but if we looked at what I call the GYN organs, we don't take care of the breast, so that would be by a general surgeon, but uterus, tubes, ovaries, cervix, vagina, vulva, 
um, what we call the pelvic basin, those kinds sure. of things. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anything that makes a woman a woman. So can we talk about signs and symptoms of these problems that may require medical attention? Okay. Besides your pap smear that's normal once right. a year, why, why else would I go to the doctor? Well, most of the times we would go to the doctor for preventive care. You know, okay. an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes. So there's still some guidelines, even if you're well with no problems that you should be seen for just some screening things that happen. Um, but other things that might come up would be quality of life issues that are affected by GYN, is, by GYN problems. Those could be things, the most common things are periods. Mm -hmm. How many periods do women have between four and 500 in their lifetime? And so at some point, when we think of starting our periods at age 11 or 12, mm -hmm. having them monthly until age 51 to 58, something is about, something will go awry. Sure. Periods too long, too heavy, we don't get a period, um, problems with pain or discomfort, spotting after sex, spotting between periods. So that would drive a patient to be seen. Mm -hmm. The other might be at the other extreme of life when our periods stop. And some women are bothered by vaginal dryness, uh, hot flashes, night sweats, pain with intercourse. So related to a lack of estrogen. So that's menopause? Menopause. Even pre- or perimenopause, there's okay. some hormonal fluctuations that can lead to some discomfort and problems. And really, we look at quality of life. Vaginal problems, what are those? Odor from the vagina, itching, uh, discharge, pain in the uh, vagina, a lot of vulvar itching, mm -hmm. uh, lesions like herpes, sexually transmitted diseases such, such as uh, gonorrhea, syphilis, chlamydia. So we would see those kinds of things. And then lastly, our patients increasingly, I think with the Me Too generation, are coming to gynecologists and being much more proactive, speaking, us, speaking with us about interpersonal relationships with their partner, both whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, the issue of domestic violence, uh, abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, financial abuse, things like that. Um, and another great part of being a female is our sexuality. And patients may come to us with problems with arousal disorders, decreased libido, um, lack of interest in intercourse, pain with intercourse, um, those kinds of things. So GYN doctors really see the gamut of these kinds of conditions. And there are many other things I'm sure we'll get to talk about, but sure. these come to mind um, right off the bat, the kinds of patients that I would see in the last week. Uh, or in my career. Sure, mm -hmm. and then when you talk about any kind of abuse that's involved, what do you have to do at that point when you hear something like that? I mean, do you have to get anybody else involved? Is there gonna be like um, a psychologist that you will refer to? What, what's the next step for that? So we know that domestic violence is a, a big problem and many women um, in our society and actually worldwide yes. um, face this problem. Um, so first is to find out if there are problems that are there. So for instance, uh, in our bathrooms, uh, women go to the bathroom and we have uh, a hotline, uh, a pull-off sheet on the back of the door. Oh. Um, sometimes patients will um, come with their partners, husbands, boyfriends, and really before this became a real big issue, I used to think, oh my God, what a doting partner, a doting husband, you know, there for every visit. But then we start looking at some of the signs of possessiveness and other things that can become a little bit unusual. And so um, women, if they're in the office with their partner, they may not answer yes to certain questions. Sure. So most men are not gonna go into a women's bathroom. Right. So we have some signs. So in terms of what we do, if we recognize it, 
We have to um, talk with the patient about it. Um, we also have um, social workers. We have the ability um, sometimes to get in contact with the police um, if there is actual um, physical harm that you can see and witness, right. um, psychological help, um, all those kinds sure. of things. So first is to bring awareness and attention. And it's important for physicians to be aware. Um, it's really a sad statement, but I have to be honest and very transparent. It wasn't something that I was taught during residency. It was probably 25 years after I became a uh, physician that we start hearing about this. Wow. Now we're taught how to do a hysterectomy, how to do a tubal ligation, how to take care of patients in terms of prescriptions, but the issue of trauma um, was really not discussed. Right. So we are bringing it up, and more importantly, I think through social media and just awareness, patients are coming to us to discuss that. Sure. Yeah, sure. it's very mm -hmm. good to know. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about why it's important to recognize um, some of the abnormal symptoms that we talked about earlier, early, mm -hmm. and to see a physician right away. Why is that very important? Well, I think, again, prevention is, is, is the best thing and early recognition of disease. So I think as women, we know our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, if we just look at some things like uh, menstrual cycles, we know that there should be every 28 to 30 days lasts for three to seven days. So a woman that's coming in bleeding for 10 days, 14 days, 50 days, 100 days, that's not normal. Right. So we would say that we want women to come in to be diagnosed early. Some patients are afraid to come in because they think we're going to tell them that they have the C word, yeah. cancer. Yeah. Most of the times it's not cancer. It's something that's so simply treatable, even without surgery. Um, and so basically, it's better to be evaluated. Mm -hmm. And then as a doctor, we look at all the different causes so that we can come up with a cure, sure. so to speak. So I think when patients hide symptoms, uh, delay diagnosis, if there is something that's not good, like a cancer, it's always better to catch something early sure. than late. So I would say for that, it's important. Quality of life, even period problems. Young girls should not miss school. Um, for pain and discomfort, should not miss hobbies, should not miss sports. So once a, a GYN condition becomes, um, does have to be life-threatening, but quality of life changes. Sure. A bigger problem after children and with aging is incontinence, loss of urine when you cough or sneeze, not being able to hold your urine. So what would that prevent? That would prevent someone from exercising, because some women have problems when they're jogging or running. They can't golf, they're always looking for a bathroom. They want to jump out of a car every 45 minutes to go urinate. They won't go skiing. They might not go camping. So it's not that they're going to die from any of this, but it affects our quality of life. And um, I think it's so important as women that our GYN issues to just not get in the way of anything. Right. And so if there's a change in how we feel, I'll point down there. See a doctor. Sure. Uh, don't be afraid. Sure. Um, come in and talk. And I think physicians both with the history, physical examination, blood testing sometimes, imaging, sometimes with ultrasound, CAT scans, or MRI. I mean, I won't say everybody gets everything, right. but we can focus the workup and the evaluation so that we really target what that woman needs. Sure. But suffering, you know, that's something back in the 1800s. We don't yeah. need to suffer. Right. We have lots of great cures um, to help women. And it's important to educate our audience, and I'm so glad you're here mm -hmm. to talk about it because thinking about it since, you know, we're 11 or 12 or 13, mm -hmm. let's say you've always had a heavy period. Mm -hmm. Let's say you've always had pain. 
not knowing what is normal because you've always had it. That's, right. that's very important to, to educate yourself. Right. And there are also some things that you just talked about that run in families. But in the older days, our mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers suffered in silence. Yes. Um, and so sometimes women will hear, we talked earlier about endometriosis, pain, discomfort, lots of symptoms. Yes. And sometimes it's genetic or fibroids, again, genetic. And there are some un other unusual conditions like von Willebrand's disease that make women hemorrhage, but it runs in families. But just because your mother and grandmother, sister, aunt have it does not mean that you um, have that condition, but that you couldn't be treated. So I think for me, the take home message is the G our GYN health, pelvic health, should never interfere with the quality of life and keeping us from. Um, doing things. I did an interview once or was asked to quote something that's going on in Europe. I don't remember what country, but shouldn't women be given like five days off a month as a part of their job benefits because of GYN problems? And I just said, I'm sorry, I do not agree with it. They need to see us, yes. our great department at the Cleveland Clinic yes. um, or, or a doctor. No, you don't need five days off or three. You don't need any days off yes. of a month right. for period-related issues. Right. And in the other end of sort of that end of our life or reproductive life, you shouldn't lose sleep and have insomnia from hot flashes right. and changing your clothing and your hair is a mess because you're sweating all the time. Right. And you know, n avoiding sex because of pain. I mean, women are living older. Yes. And so with that, um, we now have lots of things. Um, I just gave a lecture, you know, not long ago, and the average, you know what the average age of death in 1850s was for women? Probably 40. 43. Wow. Okay. So women never got to menopause. Wow. You know, the average woman had 15 children, 15 pregnancies. <laughs> because there wasn't contraception. And so now women, we find that if you're healthy, even with a chronic condition at age 65, but you have hypertension and diabetes, but you take care of yourself, yes. you're gonna live another 15 to 20 years. And if you make it to 80, you're likely to make it to 100. Yeah. So we have sort of the menopause years used to be never, Right. Then it became a third of our lives, meaning when our periods stop. But it can be almost up to half of our lives. Yeah. So we have a whole uh, continuum of things that we now are learning about as doctors that we didn't have to know about because women didn't live to be that long, yeah. that old. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, we didn't mention bone health. That's another thing that we'll see as we get older with osteoporosis sure. and fractures, things like that. So, I mean, it's all those kinds of things that we think about. Sure, with mm -hmm. aging. So let's talk about the most common uh, gyno problems that, okay. you will, that you see in your practice. I would look, uh, I think that the things that we see the most would be related to what I call structural problems with the uterus, mm -hmm. the most common being fibroids. Fibroids. Um, yeah, there's you know, 60 to 80% of women have them, mm -hmm. um, but not everybody has symptoms, probably less than half. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, we're, we're seeing more women because of being overweight and over, um, obese with problems with their periods due to poly PCOS or polycystic mm -hmm. ovarian syndrome. We are also um, seeing, as with aging, um, the issues with incontinence and bladder sure. issues, and even sometimes rectal problems. Um, so those would be, um, when, I, when I think of things, um, and I would also say that um, women are taking better care of themselves. and most, I just read that the average American woman has 1.8 children in her lifetime. I mean, so our birth rates are going down, mm -hmm. but also contraception. Uh, especially in um, women that are 
uh, under, under 50. And, um, and since we're living longer, contraception also has to continue into our 40s and really all the way into menopause. Uh, last year, I diagnosed a 51-year-old with a pregnancy. Wow. Uh, she wasn't an IVF patient, wasn't infertility and all of that. So we can get pregnant all the way till we don't have a period for a year. So I just look at that as a big continuum that we need to look at also. It's really mm -hmm. good to know. I mm -hmm. want to uh, touch on PCOS mm -hmm. because you mentioned it's, it could be due to obesity right. and the way that we're eating. What, can we talk about what is PCOS and why is it related to obesity? So, um, I'll, I'll, so PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And um, basically, symptom-wise, women often don't have regular periods. Sometimes they don't get periods at all, mm -hmm. um, months and months, and even sometimes years and years. Yeah. Other times, the periods are coming very frequently. It can also have some physical symptoms with really bad acne, <clears throat> sometimes with um, excess hair growth, facial hair, chest hair, um, much you know, hairy arms. And we would ask, you know, does it run in your family? So everything that I'm saying doesn't mean, you know, if, if you're Italian and everybody has lots of hair, I wouldn't say you have PCOS. Right. I mean, there. <laughs> And there are certain cultures that are just women are a little bit hairier. Sure. So basically, it's acne, it's hair growth, sometimes hair loss, um, being overweight. We don't always know all of the reasons. There can be uh, problems with the adrenal gland, okay, which is, makes hormones. It could be a problem with the ovaries itself. But we also know that our weight um, and what's in our waist, W-A-I-S-T, our central fat, Yes. Um, this stuff is not sleeping. It's yeah. not dormant. It's not hibernating. And so when we're overweight, we make a lot of chemicals, these fat cells. And those chemicals are hormones. And those hormones are estrogen, um, or they're converted into estrogen and some byproducts that can lead to just changes in the menstruation, which then puts women at increased risk of not being able to get pregnant because they don't ovulate regularly. Right. Um, so infertility. Um, we can also see pre-cancer, um, what we call endometrial hyperplasia, and an earlier onset of uterine cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, we do a lot of testing looking for tumors and right. things like that. Most of the times we um, don't find it. Okay. We check for the thyroid. We check the adrenal glands. I mean, that's important to be thorough. But really, the majority of the time, we look, can look at a patient and say, you know, you're over your ideal body weight and that the fat itself, I don't use that word, but the stuff that we carry in our waistline, yes. our buttocks and our hips, really is, um, I just look at it as inflammatory cells that make things go, or why, um, um, uh, uh, um, <laughs> make things go uh, awry. Okay, awry. Yeah. is what I wanted to say, <laughs> yes. Okay, so do these dis the, the, uh, disorders, any of them relate to infertility? Yes, if, if women are not making an egg every month uh -huh. uh, and getting periods that are um, what we call ovulation, where you make an egg, that will um, lead to difficulty getting pregnant. Okay, mm -hmm. so what are some of the tests that you do for a woman to find, uh, to evaluate the issues that they may have? For infertility in general? For infertility or for some of these disorders that we talked about. I'm sure well, there's a lot of Yeah, there are a lot things. of things. I, I think when we look at infertility, I always say it takes two to tango to make a baby. Right. So 60% of the problem may um, arise within the woman. Um, I should say 50%, about 40% with men, and then 10% both have a problem. Okay. So the issues with women could be age. Um, as we age, our ovarian reserve 
the eggs themselves, the quality, the number of eggs change, especially over the age of 35 and over 40. Mm -hmm. um, other causes can be um, infection that could have caused problems with um, pelvic inflammatory disease, sure. infection of the tubes, um, problems with the uterus, such as polyps or fibroids, or there could be some unusual anatomic problems where women have um, it's called a septum, sort of a malformation within the uterus that may need correction. Yeah. Um, those would be the more common things that we look at. Um, so we kind of start from head to toe to think about the pituitary gland, which is our master gland. Is it functioning right there? Tests that we do for that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I won't go through all the details, but we kind of go from head to toe looking at the different organs, the thyroid, the ovaries, the adrenal glands. Um, to sort of put the story together. Sure. And then for men, um, we have to look at a semen analysis. Are there enough sperm? Do they swim fast enough? Um, are they modal enough? Do they have the right um, anatomy? Mm -hmm. So we look at that. And so um, we kind of look at all of these factors. Sure. Also, things can impact infertility. You could be perfectly fine. Smokers, women who smoke, um, the nicotine's not good for anything. And it off often ages our skin, our face, with wrinkling, our bones get uh, thinner, but also um, women who smoke um, have an impact by sort of killing off the ovaries, um, I should say ovarian function. So sometimes it's simple as getting people to stop smoking. We know the impact for drug use. That impacts the whole head, ovary um, problem, uh, smoking, uh, drug use, alcohol abuse, those kinds of things. Um, sometimes if you're too underweight, um, it impacts where you don't get a period, anorexia, yeah. bulimia, uh, eating disorder. So you can be too thin, uh, which can make you not get periods. You can be overweight and not get periods regularly. So we kind of have to, it's, it's hard to balance. bundle everything, yeah. but we have to sort of, you know, if I see a person that weighs 80 pounds, I'm going to think differently about why she's not getting periods right. versus somebody that's 400 pounds. Right. And so um, as a doctor, it's really not a cookbook. We really try to individualize the care of the patient and look at um, each part of the woman to look at her in a whole way. Whole, sure. mm -hmm. So when you talked about um, alcohol, I just want to ask you this question mm -hmm. that came to mind. Um, some women drink wine during pregnancy. Some women are like, I can't touch alcohol mm -hmm. during pregnancies or even during breastfeeding. Right. What's your take? I think we should not drink any alcohol. Um, it's just, it's del deleterious. I mean, it's hard to say one drink. Yeah. You know, most women um, don't know that they're pregnant by a couple of weeks until sure. they've had a missed period, but I'm talking about ongoing drinking. I, I think the human body um, is so fragile, and when we look at how we develop that, who's to say? And so I think avoidance during this time in your life is important. Definitely. Yeah. Great. And then, so I want to talk about four of the most common gyneco gynecological problems that women face, first one being endometriosis. So can we talk about what it is and um, if there are any causes? Okay. So endometriosis, first of all, in medicine, for the most part, we don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> I mean, why do we get gray hair? Why do yeah. we wrinkle? Why do we sleep? I mean, so I just kind of so there's a lot of theories, and, yes. I, and when I'm speaking you know, in the public, I don't want to say this is dogma. So there are theories about why women may get endometriosis. One may be genetic. It just runs in families. Um, some people look, so what is endometriosis? Endometriosis is a condition where the menstrual blood, uh, instead of it just being seen through the um, vagina, 
and on our sanitary pads or tampons, the blood, one theory is that it, it, it um, goes, uh, refluxes, it retrogrades, go, blood goes back, backwards from the uterus, through the tubes, to the ovaries, and then to the, the peritoneal cavity, the organs, the bowel, the bladder that are there. Um, there may be something that pushes the blood back. There may be structural problems. We don't know why, but it can be um, a condition that's common with no symptoms, but what would draw a patient to a doctor would be pain, usually. Okay. Bad menstrual cramps, missing work, missing school, having a significant pain with intercourse. Sometimes um, there's not a lot of symptoms, but the blood backs up and a doctor does an exam mm -hmm. and can feel a large cyst on the ovary, mm -hmm. and that's called an endometrioma, where blood accumulates by um, the ovary. And when we do surgery and there's a cyst that's like a little balloon and we open it, it looks just like uh, Hershey's chocolate syrup, just old right. blood. Yeah. Sometimes the blood continues on other organs. So what sits in front of the uterus, the bladder. Um, some women with, uh, and behind it is the bowel. So some women may have very painful um, urination. We call that dysuria. Sometimes this blood, because it's inflammatory, kind of erodes through the bladder tissue. And some women, when they, when they go to urinate, can see blood oh, through the urine. Sometimes um, women have very bad pain. We call that tenismus bad pain with um, bowel movements, mm -hmm. difficulty, aching, almost not wanting your stool to come out because the endometriosis leads to inflammation mm -hmm. and scar tissue. Some women, because the, um, it can erode through the bowel mucosa, the surface, it can lead to blood in the stool. And so I would say the most common symptoms that bring a woman in, it could also lead to some change in menstrual cycles, but usually it's pain and it may be potentially secondary infertility, meaning not being able to get pregnant. Okay. Um, and you know, there's different degrees of endometriosis. We call it stage one to stage four, minimal, mild, moderate, or severe. Okay. And certain things, very severe are cases, if we, we here at the Cleveland Clinic use ultrasound and MRI very liberally, we may be able to see some of the evidence of scarring mm -hmm. or cyst formation. The ovaries should kind of see uh, be like away from each other. Sometimes the scar tissue, they, we call them kissing lesions, the ovaries get stuck to each other um, because of the scar tissue. So there are different things that we might see um, on um, imaging pockets of um, scar tissue, sometimes old accumulated blood in the peritoneal cavity. So it all depends on, you know, the, doc, the patient talks to the physician. Sometimes on examination, it even erodes into the vagina where we can see these purple, bluish nodules that are there, erode onto the cervix. So again, talking with our audience today, um, it, I would just say, see your physician if pain is a big issue, um, if there's some major discomfort with intercourse, and then let the doctor kind of go from there to work you through what test, what medications, if you need surgery, what type, because um, it's very individualized. Right, so mm -hmm. is there a cure for endometriosis? Getting pregnant. Getting pregnant. Yes, yes, it's a cure. So often <laughs> or one- control, right? Or birth control, right? I was gonna say, the other is just stop menstruation. So one of the theories is just sort of incessant ovulation having periods month after month after month. So women who've had kids who breastfeed a long time, you're not getting a period. Mm -hmm. And they tend to not have these symptoms. Or just by not having a period, the body heals, heals itself. 
I often think of um, if you were to look internally with a laparoscopy, it looks like an old bruise in there sometimes. Mm -hmm. And just like if you bruise your finger, that blood that's in your, if you smash your finger in, yeah. it doesn't come out, drip out of your fingernail. Right, it gets surface. absorbed, yeah. you know, yeah. goes from black to blue to green to yellow right. and it fades. So getting pregnant allows the endometriosis to sort of become dormant and sleeping. Sure. And so birth control pills and or other medications, we have a IUD that's progestin based, mm -hmm. uh, there's many different names, so I won't mention names, but uh, a medicated IUD that could help also uh, suppress symptoms until someone's ready to get pregnant. So what I wanted to talk about was the insurance. Mm. So because infertility occurs in about 30 to 40% of women with endometriosis, does that mean insurance doesn't cover the condition if you're trying to get pregnant? So, you know, it, we have at the Cleveland Clinic over 500 insurers. So I would say we have to look individually. Sure. Um, and sometimes we doctors will code um, differently, meaning how they identify. So if you come in, sure, you, you're trying to get pregnant, but you have painful sex. You have very bad menstrual cycles. We might say, um, list the word dysmenorrhea, heavy periods, pelvic pain as a diagnosis without putting diagnosis of infertility, infertility. front and center. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, the next thing I want to talk about was uh, an abnormal pap smear. So it should be done yearly, but what does not it yearly not anymore? Yearly. No. Oh, what is it? Every well, so it's now every. F so the the you, we usually would say you should get your first Pap smear within three years of having intercourse. Okay. And then if you and then um, what we do are now at usually by age twenty one, um, or whenever we start the Paps, it's yearly to make sure that it's normal. But if you have all normal Paps, it's gone to five years. Oh, so and once we, every five years. Mm -hmm, if they've been all normal. And uh -huh. if you get to about age 65 and um, um, don't have never had a problem with your pap, then we don't do it again. Okay. But again, these are guidelines. Right. So, everybody's you know, different. everybody's different. Sure, so I would sure. say, so we do pap. And now we know that one of the causes of uh, precancer cancer is what's called the HPV mm -hmm. virus or human papillomavirus. So when we're doing paps, beginning at age 30, um, for women, once they're 30, we start doing co-testing, the traditional pap test coupled with the HPV virus. Okay. Because when we look backwards, even with um, slides and reference material from the 1900s that's here at the Cleveland Clinic, right. they didn't have testing for HPV. But when you pull those samples and now uses this testing, the women with cancer had HPV. So we feel that um, cervical cancer is an STD a sexually transmitted disease because it's most commonly associated with the HPV virus. Wow. And we're now hoping that this next generation of physicians will not ever have to see cases because we're recommending vaccinations okay. for boys and girls yes. and adolescents. Okay. Uh, series, I won't go through everything, but you would go to the pediatrician and we would the, they would do a series of three vaccinations okay. over time. Um, and that um, nothing with vaccinations 100% but it decreases the risk of precancerous cells and the subsequent development of cancer. That's something really hot off the presses in the last year, Good, that our teens um, and preteens, um, it doesn't mean that, you're, that this is gonna make your 
11-year-old or 13-year-old sexually active. Right. It is a method of prevention. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. That's excellent. So going back to the abnormal pap smear, mm -hmm. what does an abnormal uh, pap smear look like and what are the next steps? Um, most women with an abnormal pap smear don't know it mm -hmm. um, because it's a, it's a, it's a uh, even sometimes as a doctor looking with our grossly with our eyes, we don't see anything. Mm -hmm. It's the cells, we take a scraping of the cells and then it's looked at under the microscope by our pathologist. Okay. And it just has an abnormal appearance and then we do the co-testing with the HPV and it often will be um, seen. And then from there, um, the pap test is abnormal depending on the type of abnormality. Um, we may have the patient come back for a test called colposcopy. Mm -hmm. And it's just using a set of binoculars and in the office we can look and magnify the cervix. There's something we put on the cervix that might highlight some abnormal cells and then take biopsies of that. Um, I don't know how much detail to go in, and then there's different treatments that sure. are often off office-based. All right, and mm -hmm. then we talked about uterine fibroids, and they are the most uh, frequently diagnosed tumor of the female mm -hmm. uh, pelvis. Benign tumor. Benign, that mm -hmm. was going to be my next right. question. Mm -hmm. So they're mostly benign, Yes, correct? yeah, and I actually, I mean, I, that what you said is correct. I really like to take out the word tumor because when okay. we, I don't tell it's a scary, patient. It's a scary it sounds word. like cancer. Yes. So I just say she has, you have a very common uh, growth of the uterus, the okay. muscle of the uterus, the 60 to 80% of women have. And let's see what symptoms you have. And then what are your reproductive choices? Um, what symptoms can we treat um, in so different ways? They're benign, but do they increase a woman's chance of having uterine cancer? No, because uterine cancer comes from the actual cells of menstruation. Okay. The fibroids are different. There's about one out of 350 um, women that have cancer within the fibroid. It's very, very rare. I've been here over 25 years. I've seen three patients in my practice, wow. despite the thousands of women sure. that sure. have fibroids. So it's ne I'm not going to say it's never on my mind, right. but I don't want women hearing the word tumor and thinking cancer. cancer. Right. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. And then um, lastly, abnormal uterine bleeding. So um, I know we talked, there's so many different things, but is there something that's most likely associated with abnormal vaginal bleeding? We look at it at different life cycles. So let's first say, um, because I don't, I always want patients to learn from what I see or all of us see. Once our periods stop, which is between ages 45 to 58, once we go one full year without a period, we should never see blood in the vagina okay. or on our panties. Okay. It doesn't mean cancer, but I've had women who are 70 and start having what they call, quote, a period every other month or they're bleeding. And some women said, oh, I'm getting younger. No, it doesn't mean you're going back to being 25. It is abnormal. A lot of women say, oh, it was just a little bit. Oh, I had no pain. Any bleeding should be evaluated. It turns out the number one cause of bleeding is that the tissue gets so dry and fragile, mm -hmm. and like parchment paper, and so thin that it bleeds. That's the number one cause. Okay. The fifth most common would be cancer. But between that dryness, it could be polyps, fibroids, pre-cancer, mm -hmm. infection, okay. cervical problems. So if they see blood, the first thing is not cancer, but I don't want people to wait. If it is cancer, um, the symptom would then let, if you keep going on and on and on, it grows, invades into the muscle of the uterus, spreads outside the uterus, and then they have pain. So it turns out for uterine cancer, if you ask me, of all the cancers, GYN, if I had to choose one to have, it would be uterine cancer. Okay. Why? 85 to 90% have a symptom of bleeding. Mm -hmm. 
it gets worked up quickly. You have cancer, you get a simple hysterectomy. No chemo, no radiation. Just get it to get it's out. done. But, you know, I'm just saying, but yeah, when people are right. waiting, um, and the other thing is a really abnormal discharge, feeling wet, uh, moist, um, can also. So it does, it can be brown blood, red blood, pink blood. It's just never normal. And, after um, menopause. After menopause. And, you know, the doctor puts the speculum in. We look at the cervix. Bleeding could come from the cervix. There's vaginal cancers, very rare, but we look in the vagina when we have the speculum in. Sure. It could be endocervical cancer and, and just inside the cervix. It can be uterine. It can be ovarian. 3% of um, uter uh, bleeding um, in women prevents, presents uh, ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, presents. I mean, usually it's bloating, weight gain, or weight loss, um, urinary frequency, feeling nauseous, uh, feeling full as soon as you eat. But 3% of ovarian cancers present with abnormal bleeding. So there's a whole host of things that doctors do to rule in and rule out what a patient has. Sure. And so I would say that's def definitely. And then, as we mentioned earlier, um, changes in the cycle. Right. Too heavy, too long, many more clots, anemia. Um, you know, bleeding so much that you're tired, you're short of breath, you lose hair, you're craving ice, it's called pica, craving starch, craving dirt, unusual food cravings um, as a sign of profound anemia that most commonly if you're in the reproductive age, if you have anemia, where's the blood coming from? Usually it's from the uterus. It's not colon cancer. You're not vomiting up um, right. blood. Right. So, you know, we have to take a good menstrual history. So, um, I mean, that's the things that I would look at. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Now, can stress be the culprit of any of these issues that we talked about today? Um, I would say stress can lead to um, uh, things like irregular periods if you're very, very stressed. Right. The hypo everything from the pituitary gland kind of gets shut down. Mm -hmm. Sleep, your poor sleep hygiene. Um, mentioned diet. Earlier. Diet. Um, and also uh, stress as we are in the menopause can lead to more hot flashes and sweating. Sure, and that's also imbalance in hormones can cause a lot of these issues. Yes. And that's mm -hmm. also could be related to thyroid, is that right? Thyroid is always checked. Thyroid, okay. we always okay. check. About one out of 100 women have a problem, but we that's an easy test, it's a cheap test. You'd hate to miss that. Yes. So, um, you know, we just look for it. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all I have for today. Excellent. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. in today. Very, very informative. Thank you. And to make an appointment with a physician in the OBGYN and Women's Health Institute, you can call 216-444-6601. Thanks again to our listeners and viewers for joining us today. To listen to more of our Health Essentials podcast from Cleveland Clinic experts, make sure you go to clevelandclinic.org slash H-E podcast, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And for more health tips, news, and information from Cleveland Clinic, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, just one word. And we'll see you again next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.